This is an ABC podcast. This is Sisters Let's Talk with Hilda Wayne. I thought in my head, if women had been sitting at that council meeting in the village, wouldn't there have been a different solution? Because women would have stood up for this child. Tangaloa Tele Peggy Philbin Dunlop understands what it means to have a seat at the table. She's been an academic for more than 35 years, and so much of her research has been focused on gender equality. In her motherland of Samoa, chiefly Omotai titles can be held by women. As someone from a patriarchal society in PNG, I find this fascinating. But despite our different cultures and traditions, we share some universal truths. So I wanted to play out this conversation for you in full. Tangalowatele Peggy Furbundanlop is now an emeritus professor at Auckland University of Technology. And I spoke to her about the Matai system. I was just going to say, thank you for the um, opportunity. Ah, you, you're welcome, you're welcome. We're honoured. In the Fa'asar Moa, everybody is part of a family and every family has a matai. Who is your leader? And that is your identity. It's your role. It's your place within the society generally and nationally because every matai is linked to land. And land is held in customary tenure, which is under the leadership of or under the decision-making of the matai of the village. So if I want land in a village, because there's very little freehold land, it's all customary land mainly, then I request my family who requests the matai, can Peggy have that section of land for her family? And that's the way it goes. So identity, security, well-being. All of those things are very much tied up to your family and your family status and your identity as a Samoan, I guess you'd say. How does one earn the title of Matai? Probably the most famous word, if you like, in the Samoa is service, tautua. So the Matai is here, of course, and dependent on the tautua or the service of the people who have put him or her there and who maintain him or her there and who provide the resources, if you like, to maintain the status of that Matai title because in Samoa it's sort of a nationally ranked titles, you know, four major titles and also smaller ones. But whatever your family do, you have the potential to increase the status of your Matai or your family or if you do something wrong, then you, it's the potential to lower it as well. So we are all part of our family. So it must be, as you grow up, it's a, like a kind of a big responsibility and maybe, maybe a burden as well to really live up to expectations as a you know, member of a Matai, is it? Well, I guess you could say it's uh, you learn everything about your role and identity in a family as you grow up. And that's your attitudes. I mean, we often think, you know, in the old gender, we use always use the term structures and attitudes. But there's a very lovely um, quote I know from the present Prime Minister, Fermi Naomi, which 
I think in Samoa in 1988, the National Council of Women, we had our first women in politics conference, first ever in Samoa. And this is what she said. She said, although there are no laws preventing women from participating fully in all political levels, there are layers of attitudinal bias that ultimately break a woman's ambition to reach into higher levels of political activities. And so it's really much, even in Samoa today and probably globally, that whole thing about attitudes to women's work, women's place, women's value, women's knowledge, that's the bit that we have to try and break through. Going to the ceremonies, what ceremonies are associated with this? Oh, if your family, a chief-making title is called the Salfa'i. There's a Salfa'i where you all come together and other chiefs from your village come together and maybe chiefs from other villages and you go through like a kava ceremony. But from the beginning, it is always a, if you like, prayer spiritual. So there's always a pastor there who says a prayer for the occasion and acknowledges that the knowledge of the chief comes from on high. And then there is the kava, if you like, the traditional ceremony. So I guess what you're referring to the fact is that although it's a um, a social institution, if you like, the Fatimatai, it is the strong understanding that it is blessed by God and is part of God's organisational system of how the world should act, I guess. Interesting. How long does the ceremony go for? Can you paint the picture of what it looks like? What kind of costumes you wear? It's a yes, yeah. Thank you. That's a, a great, a great question. Over time, I think they've changed, but the the substance, if you like, or the is the same. That it's traditional dress, and you're all in a fale. And all the village will be around the the fale and outside, and you will be brought on, and you will sit together all together, and you will be blessed, you know, by God, and then you will partake in the other ceremony. In the past, it was usually something very much like this that you would be dressed, and it would be siap or tapa or those sorts of things. But modern goods have come into the process at the moment and uh, are likely to continue. I mean, sometimes you go into these sorts of ceremonies and there'll be many, many, um, you know, lava lavas and everything. You'll come in looking very, very huge with all these goods on you, including money, and then when you are sort of finished, generally it's dispersed and everybody who is there is, is able to you know, take some of that. That's mm. fascinating. Wow. I'm just, I'm just. Yeah, <laughs> different villages, remember, different systems, ah. but generally that's the, you know, so you come in like this and then you distribute out again because that is the role of the Matai actually, to bring in the resources, but then to distribute for the good of all. Mm. Where my mom comes from, the Anger province, they pay a bride price and she actually, um, carries a spear and she's dressed in a sort of costume and then she runs and people put money into a kind of a waistband or something like that. And then she collects all the money and then she distributes it after the ceremony. It's just, it's yeah, just yeah, fascinating yeah. how it's so connected in, in one way or another, different things. 
Well, there is that distribution, but it's not in the line of bride price or, or, or that sort of thing. There is a distribution of resources. In fact, a lot of people today would complain that salfai have become very expensive. Ah, yeah, yeah. Because for you to have it in the village, you have your relationship with the village and then all the chiefs that are there who have come to honour your occasion are likely to, you know, and then the women's committees will get some sort of uh, probably monetary donation and probably some tins of pisupo and fine mats, (laughs) a big distribution of fine mats, yes, to honour the occasion. Yeah. I mean, that's a, yeah, it's, it's just a similar to PNG. It's becoming really expensive. And often, often on the fine mats, in the old days especially and today, that they will record the, the ceremonies where they have been used. Someone will write it. Now they write it in, you know, like a pen sort of thing, but it's recorded. So when you look at it, you can see where and how that mat, the fine mat, which is of more value than cash, how the fine mat has been used. Wow, mm. that's amazing. How much more are we seeing women being bestowed the title? Uh, yeah, I think more more recently there are more women who are being bestowed the title. But if I look at a bit of research which was done at the National University in Samoa recently, what they found was, yes, there are more women and more women from overseas because we've sort of got to remember that overseas now, even in New Zealand, there are a whole lot of little villages of um, families <laughs> in Samoans, uh, Samoan, you know, Matai. But it's sort of far more. But the, this research that I saw fairly recent said that although women are being made Matais or being yeah appointed Matais, usually they are in the lower titles because, you know, it's a rank system, lower titles and um Often they are overseas and often they do not participate so much in village politics from their own choice and apparently from the choice of the male Matai who sit in the village councils as well. Is your culture and your community, your people, uh, is it matrilineal mostly or patrilineal? I think the bottom line and the easiest way to answer that is that every person, male or female, has a right to be appointed by their family as a Matai. How has the role changed, particularly when it comes to the diaspora? I think that's a remarkable thing because the role of the Matai hasn't actually changed significantly. It is still the same process. Like, for example, in Wellington here, we have our family, which is a larger family unit. And if there's a fa'alave lave or a birth or a death, or something which needs going to together to support, then we all contribute our resources from each of the lines. You know, we were contributed and usually we go as a joint, as a joint contribution. But in terms of decision making, it's the same. We have our kinship group, if you like, family meetings, and we make joint decisions at that, you know, at that level as well. So I would say significantly it is pretty much the same. It's the same obligations and practices, but maybe the contents have changed. You know, there are like store-bought goods and those sorts of things, maybe instead of traditional goods. Money features highly. Status features highly. Sometimes people are awarded a status 
position as a matai because they have done well, say, educationally or in business or something like that. And then they go out and they support the family uh, ventures from that particular perspective. So although it's in a different country, but the second very powerful thing is, and this is our family, um, I'm part of the wider Sapitea family in uh, in New Zealand, but my branch is Sateo, but part of the Sapitea family is you support the families back home. So there's a huge Sapitea family in Samoa, for example, and so there's an exchange of goods and supports and services between us and them, between our Australia Aina and us and then, you know, so we've got global networks. That's amazing. Exchange, I guess you'd say, which you, you probably are pretty familiar with. Mm. Yeah, of course. Uh, but my giving has always been one way. <laughs> oh, yeah, <well>. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a one way traffic. <laughs> but, you know, being exposed, being overseas, like a lot of, um, we kind of have, have this obligation to support our families back at home. So, you know, it's just a responsibility that we have. have Ever as uh, Highlander people, I guess. Yeah, there's a loophole in there, though, that for some people, and I must say that supporting and generosity the ho- to the homeland is often at an expense to the quality of life of the local families in a migrant community. Often they give till it hurts. But at the same time, I think, as you will know, that in New Zealand anyway, there's the rise of the Samoan churches, which have become, they say, the church is now the village. And so a lot of the uh, money from Samoan families and the resources and the time and the energy and the pride actually goes in supporting their own churches, which have now in New Zealand anyway become the community resource centres too for the whole population, you know, access to information, access to. So there's a whole lot of um, network. I see you nodding your head. Yeah, because that's that's exactly what we, uh, the kind of system and community sort of community we have away from home. The church is like the first place we go to to find kind of connectivity with our culture and our people. And we know there are still some villages in Samoa that don't bestow titles on women. Um, what are the pitfalls for this? Okay, well, I come from a village that doesn't. And so even with, though we've got CEDAW and we've got the MDGs, our, my village doesn't. So my, my title is from a different village that bestowed it on me. So there's still about, even though it's a law, I think there's a, I read somewhere there's, you know, more than 17 villages that just don't do it because they say that it's, you know, against tradition, that there are male and female different domains of work and knowledge and aspiration. So what are the pitfalls? Well, as far as I can see that the main pitfall is that, and this is really in terms of, um, you know, equity and those sorts of things, is that, by looking at decisions or by looking at things which crop up mainly from a male angle, then you are not getting a wider understanding of a particular problem. Women have knowledge. Women's contribution to any discussions or to any enterprise increases, there's a beautiful phrase, increases the pool of knowledge from which creative solutions can be made. So not only is it a right, 
it also should make for better solutions and practice. This is Sisters Let's Talk with Hilda Wayne. I'm speaking to Tangaloa Tele Peggy Furban Dunlop, an emeritus professor at Auckland University of Technology. Tangaloa Tele is a chiefly Omatai title. Among a long list of professional achievements, she was one of the commissioners on Samoa's National Inquiry into Family Violence back in 2017. It's an issue she's eager to tackle. And one of the solutions she has called for is for more women to put themselves forward for leadership roles within their villages. A few years ago, I had a fabulous master's student who did her thesis on on family violence in Samoa, and she's since done other Pacific countries. But what she found is that this young girl had been violated in the village and absolutely nobody heard. Nobody heard anything. And when it was taken to the village committee, in my view and in the view of others, see, if you have something in there that goes wrong, a family, you're supposed to take it to the village council. That's the first area of redress. In many villages, you cannot go to the police. Villages are supremo in um, a small nation state such as Samoa. And so at that time... I asked her who was sitting in the village council when this decision was made. And she said, it's all males. I mean, the case went nowhere. She took it there. It didn't go any further. I thought in my head, if women had been sitting at that council meeting in the village, wouldn't there have been a different solution? Because women would have stood up for this child young teenager, they would have stood against. And so I, my thinking has always been if women were sitting at that table, there may have been better solutions, solutions to that particular crime that happened. And I still believe that, that women's voices included bring that knowledge to make better solutions, especially as women, well, women do have more knowledge if you like, and experience in the social field, if you like, perhaps males are supposed to be the administrators and women have the social knowledge. We've got to bring those knowledges together. So when I rethought it, there are lots of other factors at play and it's really got to go back to looking again at the attitudinal and women's agency is a matai. You know, so in the beginning, I used to argue for you've got to have more women matai. And now I've moved to the next step. When you're there, what do you do? What is your agency? Are you able to use it? Are you strong enough to use it? Will you use it for better solutions? So that's where I am at the moment. And the research I was reading, I think I said to you before, was that women were in the lower uh, levels. The actual research from about 10 years ago now, conducted by the National University in Samoa, was that women in some villages, women, even if they had a matai, were not allowed to go to the village meeting of matai because it's the whanau of matai, so they're they're entitled to go there. But secondly, the male matai sort of said that women upset the the jokes and that of the meeting, you know, the camaraderie, if you like. (laughs) But the other thing was that 
women themselves said, we do not want to go there, that they did not feel comfortable in that setting. And that's the sort of thing that will come with time, I guess, because there are more women Matai presently and there are more younger women Matai, especially in New Zealand. I can't talk much to Samoa because I haven't lived on the ground there now for almost 10 years and, you know, just sort of watched the daily operation. But I know that in New Zealand there are young, clued-up women who are strong and standing up for Pacific peoples in New Zealand generally, probably stronger than males are. That's amazing, women. yeah. We have, uh, in Papua New Guinea, we have what you call the Ausman, where it's the men's place and women are not, you know, they bring kind of bad luck or something or they distort men's way of thinking or something like that. So they're not allowed into the house, houseman, where it's only restricted to men only. Now, women in Papua New Guinea are actually coming up with Ausmeri. Ausmeri is like same as the men, but it's for women and women bring their, you know, meetings together. And, and I just love this concept that if the men mm. are going to have the house, the women are not having their house married too. So it's just great the way, you know, women are just looking at how they can contribute. That, that is the heart of the challenge in Samoa is we've always had women's committees. But even at government level, it used to be just the Pulinu'u who was a male who, who um, went in and talked, usually a male Matai who went and talked for the village. But now they've got the, the Suliole Matai that it's the suli of the women's suli or the women's groups who go and talk at national level. But there is this division of a women's ministry and a, you know, we're sort of slightly outside. But about four or four, maybe six years ago, I was on the National Human Rights Commission, the first one ever held in Samoa. And what they did at the end of that to try and really look at the issue of violence and family violence from a a holistic point of view was they established sort of village-based family violence committees, village-based family violence committees, which must be comprised of male and female, which was very, very, a very, very new concept. And so within those villages, I'm not sure how many villages are engaged in it now, but they immediately set up six villages following that village-free violence committees of male. You must have so many males and females. And that was one way of getting everyone together to talk about violence as an issue. I think one of the arguments was, look, we have um, climate change village committees. We have all these committees in the village. Let's have a village violence-free committee, and I believe it's going quite well. Mm. How much have women historically held power in Samoa? Well, if you talk about women chiefs in Samoa, male and female will say to you, well, the first, if you like, national chief who, who united all the families was a woman, Nafanua. So she held that power, and they sort of say, look, of course we have women chiefs. Look at Nafanua. But that was then. I mean, this is now, you know, like the recent, if you like, we could say from the advent of what, colonisation, if you like, missionaries and all those ideas coming in. And this is now. 
So uh, there are a lot of powerful chiefs, and we've got to remember that we have a woman prime minister, a female prime minister, Fair Mayor Naomi Mata'afa. That's the first female prime minister ever, but she was also the youngest female cabinet minister when she first went in, the youngest deputy female. You know, I mean, she is setting the pathway for others to look and follow. Because when we were when we were living in Samoa, we lived there for 25 years, what was very noticeable was that there were very few MPs, if you like, female. But if you went downtown and looked at all the heads of government in that, there were women right through that sector. There were women right through the economics and the marketing sectors. But in the parliament, there were few. It was like, you know, we're all out here. And sometimes it's the women not coming in and trying to argue, but more often I think it's the idea to maintain the cultural traditions. Mm. Absolutely. What's happening in PNG as well. Women CEOs like 10, 20 years ago, this was just a foreign idea. Now women are doing anything and everything. And the, you know, holding public office, being in parliament is just so tight for them. Still is a big challenge. And... What does your suafa or your name mean to you? Tangalotele, my chiefly title, it means a lot. The fact that this village that I am, which is not my heritage village, if you like, bestowed this title on me or offered it to me through one of my other cousins. And so... That's what it means to me that I couldn't, that my own village couldn't, and we still serve my own village. You know, we sit on and do our service there, but this one village gave me that honour. And so that's how precious it is to me. I, because soon after we moved to New Zealand, but we go back, you know, we're there every year, I know that I am not serving that village, um, Laulii as I should serve, but my cousin who was sitting on that council was serving them, and he would say to me, um, don't worry, Tangalotele, I'm doing your service. Does that make sense? Now I'm trying to be a better um, matai for Laulii because they have honoured me. Mm. That's beautiful. Um, I'm just so honoured to finally see you and speak with you, and I've learned a lot from you. And that's a topic that I've always been fascinated about, the, the Matai. So I've learned a lot from you uh, today, and I am just so grateful for your time. Well, thank you. Thank you for asking. Thank you again to Tangalawatele Peggy Furbundanlo for your leadership and championing others to step into this space. And a special thanks to our own chief here on Sisters Let's Talk. Following a fulu Inga Stunzna for steering this show that ensures that women's voices are cherished and respected. Thank you so much for joining me, Hilda Wayne, for Sisters Let's Talk on ABC Radio Australia, a weekly show by Pacific Islands Women for Pacific Islands Women, where we get together to talk about the issues that are important to us. If you've missed an episode of this show, Catch up on our podcast. You can listen on the ABC Pacific website or on your favorite podcast app. 
If you've got a topic you'd like me to cover on the show or any feedback, I'd love to hear from you. Send me a message anytime at the ABC Pacific Facebook page or email sisters at abc.net.au. That is S-I-S-T-A-S at abc.net.au. Next time on Sisters Let's Talk, in many communities, the bright price tradition has evolved from gifting commodities like food and shell money to giving kina, vatu, or dollars. So how has that changed expectations on women and always calling for a return to tradition? In the olden days, we had the cultural exchange of food and the toy shell. But in this day and age, we have money involved now. So these days, everyone is racing to be seen as, you know, someone of status in the community. That's next time on Sisters Let's Talk. Sisters Let's Talk is an ABC Radio Australia production presented by me, Hilda Wayne. Our producer is Alice Matthews, supervising producer is Kim Lester, and Faleanga Fulu, Inga Stunsna, is our executive producer. Sisters Let's Talk is created on Wiradjuri, Nanowal, Nambri, Yagara, Turrbal, and Darrenbal country. And we pay our respects to elders past and present. Emtasona bungi you next time.